Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, as you take a seat, take your Bible, go to 2 Timothy. And um, if, if you were here last week, uh, you'll know that what we did is, is did kind of a brief intro to 2 Timothy, and, and then I just read the letter, read the four chapters of, of the letter. Um, and, and as we talked about last week, um, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, from last summer into last fall going through the book of 1 Timothy, which is written really to Timothy, uh, from Paul to Timothy as a, a pastor, as, as Timothy's pastoring uh, the church at Ephesus, and, and dealing with some things that, that maybe he, just, he wasn't really um, prepared to deal with as, as a young pastor. Uh, he was dealing with some false teaching, uh, and he was dealing with not just, not just false teaching that was creeping up in the church, but really false teaching that was creeping up in the leadership of his church and dealing with some, possibly even some elders who were um, leading people astray. And, and, and there were uh, apparently uh, people, uh, numbers of people, who were following this false teaching. And, and so uh, it was really instructive from, from a mentor to a pastor uh, on how to kind of navigate these waters of what he's dealing with in, in this church. We get to 2 Timothy now, and we're not exactly sure how much time's elapsed, but, but there's been some time, maybe, maybe a few years. And, and this time, Paul writes to Timothy not as a pastor, but, but as a dear friend, as a co-laborer in the gospel, as Paul's nearing the end of his life on earth. He, he realizes that his, his time on earth is coming to an end, and so, um, a matter of fact, John Calvin, the, the great, uh, great reformer, said uh, 2 Timothy was written not merely in ink, but it was written in Paul's lifeblood. This has been called almost uh, Paul's last will and testament. His final instructions. This is why we titled this, this series a final word. It's, this, is a, this is a deeply personal letter between Paul to uh, Timothy. Um, so these are, these are the words of a man who knows that his time on, on earth is drawing to a close. And as we're going to see this morning, um, as Paul begins this letter, what he's going to do is remind Timothy of his calling. He's, he's reminding Timothy of what it means to be a godly leader. Now, can, I, can I just tell you, in our, in our churches, in our homes, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, we desperately need godly leaders. P- particularly godly men. But we, need, we need godly men and women who will, um, who will lead in their homes, in their churches, in their communities. We, we've got enough pagans out there. We don't need any more pagans in leadership. We need godly people in, in leadership. And so this morning, even though this is, this is Paul's word to Timothy almost 2,000 years ago, right? So, so some time has elapsed since then. And this is Paul writing to a specific letter to a specific person in a, in a specific historical context. We're, we're going to say because Scripture uh, is, is the inspired word of God, because the writer of Hebrews would tell us that uh, um, the word of God is living and active, we're going to believe that it has principles for us today. And across the board for us, men, women, teenagers, children, whatever, it's going to have some principles 
for us. So if you will, uh, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2 starting or 2 Timothy chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray you would stir our hearts to be godly leaders. I pray you'd raise up men and women to to fulfill ministries here in our church. To be leaders in in their communities, whether that's on base or whether that's here in in Alamogordo. That from that, we would not just be upstanding citizens, but we would be people who are pointing others to the truth of the gospel. Will you show us how to do that? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, so, so I have really kind of three observations that, that I've made from, from this passage this morning. They're, they're simple. Um, none of them I don't think is earth-shattering. But, but as, as Paul's addressing Timothy, there, there are some principles that I think we can we can draw for our lives here now 2,000 years later. And the first of that is, is I want us to see the blessing of gospel companions. As I said, this is a deeply personal letter from Paul to Timothy. First four verses, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now, that's kind of a weird way to to write a letter, right? Especially to uh, someone who's already familiar with you. So that would kind of be like me, me writing to Michelle and saying, um, uh, you know, Kyle, uh, pastor of First Baptist Church, soon to be Dr. Kyle, right? Like, like writing that to, to my wife. That's kind of awkward, right? So, so what we think is that this letter was meant not just for Timothy, certainly for Timothy, but also it was meant to be read at the church at Ephesus. Uh, so, so Paul will, this is kind of his standard introduction. He'll remind um, people of his qualifications, um, uh, in case there were some skeptics there who, who were wondering, who's this guy, Paul? Why on earth is he writing to us? Why should we care what he has to say? He's going to remind them he's an apostle of uh, Christ Jesus and for the sake of, of life. Then he says, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And look at verses 3 and 4. The way that he, he launches into this um, showing his appreciation, showing his gratitude for, for Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. 
So as Paul thinks about Timothy, he, he overflows with thanksgiving for his young friend. See, in, in Timothy, Paul's found a, not only a faithful friend, but a, but a compatriot in God's kingdom. In fact, even, even beyond just a, a good friend, even besides a, a co-laborer for the gospel, in Timothy, uh, he's found family. So he'll call him here, um, my dearly loved son. At the beginning of 1 Timothy, he calls Timothy my true son in the faith. Now, this is why this is important for us, okay? So, so fast forward 2,000 years. That's great. Um, Paul and Timothy were, were good friends. They labored together in the gospel. That's incredible. What does that have to do with me sitting in Alamogordo, New Mexico in 2019? I think the principle for us is this. None of us is meant to try and do this Christian life alone. We're just, we're, we're not. That's not the way God designed it. That's, that's the whole idea behind the gathering that we call the local church. It's that we are to be men and women spurring one another on to love and good works, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. We're to be men and women walking alongside each other, encouraging godliness in one another. I've often said, you know, when, when someone would say, well, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and, and that's that's true. I mean, we don't see that. That's like, not like an 11th commandment that's in the Bible, right? Thou shalt go to church, or thy shall not be a Christian. Like, that's not in the Bible. But rather, what we see is the pattern that in the New Testament, people who were followers of Christ were involved in a local church. In fact, I would say you'd, you'd be really hard-pressed to find a growing believer in the New Testament who was not involved in a local church. In fact, several places throughout the New Testament were given not only the example, but even in Hebrews 10.25, we're given an explicit command not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, does that mean we, we always have to gather in, you know, like big cathedral-type buildings? No, of course not. In Acts, the, the believers met in, they met in the temple, yes, but they also met in, in the homes. And so we would say we have a lot of freedom in the way that that works itself out, but, but it's never an option just to say, well, I, I don't need the local church. I can just, all I need is me and Jesus in, in my Bible because we don't see that in, in the New Testament. Rather, what we see is, is people called to love the things that Christ loves. And in and, and the New Testament, the local church, the, the, the church is called the body of Christ, or the, the bride of Christ. And, and you don't really get to tell a man, you know, I like you, but dude, I can't stand your wife, right? I, I, I don't suggest having that conversation, okay? That's not a, good, not a good introduction, okay? You're cool, but bro, this bride, she's got to go. No, that's not, that's not, we're not, no, you can't do that. Right? So, so here's the thing. We all need gospel companions. Okay? For, for one thing, that's how we pass the faith along. And we're going to get here, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but 2 Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What we see there is a multi-generational pattern of discipleship. 
In fact, in this simple verse here, Paul has his spiritual great-grandchildren in view. Well, you've heard from me, Timothy. There's, there's first generation. Pass along to faithful men. There's second generation. Who will be able to teach others also. There's your third generation. Paul's looking to his spiritual great-grandchildren. I want you to, I want you to take what you've learned from me Pass it on to others who can pass it on to others. That's how we make disciples. We'll look, as I said, we'll look more at that verse in, in, in a few weeks. Um, but, but we also see it starts with just one person. Become co-laborers in the gospel with somebody. If you don't know where to start, start sharing the, the gospel with somebody. And you'll find people who are either already believers. Hey, that, that's, like, that's like co-laborers in the gospel, right? If you find folks who are already believers. Or you'll find folks who are not believers who need the gospel. So what do you do? Share the gospel with them. Well, how do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, you ask really good questions, by the way. Saturday, February 23rd. We have a training that's all about learning to share the gospel. I don't know where to start. Start on February 23rd. Be, be here. We'll even feed you. All right? Gospel companions are a blessing. Now, now listen to this passage. This is Paul sharing with the church at Philippi about his relationship with Timothy. And just, just hear the, um, the, the appreciation and the love that he has for Timothy in this, in, in Philippians 2. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his, Timothy's, proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I, can, as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. So what Paul's telling the, the church of Philippians, look, I want to be there with you, but right now I can't be. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Timothy. If I can't be there myself, he's the person that I, that I want to go. And basically, did you see that? He said, look, everybody else abandoned me except for Timothy. Everybody else is seeking their own interests, not Timothy. He wants to see the kingdom of God expand so I'm sending him to you to be a blessing. Listen, don't try to do this whole Christian life thing by yourself. It's making something that's already hard a whole lot harder. It's not the way it was designed. It's one of the blessings of, of being in a small group is to have other people to not to even just interact with on, on a Sunday morning and say, hey, you know, here's, here's some things that are going on in my life and, and here's some decisions I have to make. Here's Here's this person at work, and I just I don't know what the deal is. And we get, to, we get to bounce life experiences off of one another in light of who Jesus is. I've often said this, and I'll say it again. If you're not involved in a small group on Sunday mornings or, or a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday night, man, you are missing out on a huge part of what it means to be a part of a local church. But secondly, so that's the first thing. We see the blessing of gospel companions. Then in verse 5, we see the blessings of gospel kin. All right, I know that's a, that's a weird, kind of a weird way to say it. 
I'm, I'm going for the, for the alliteration, the, all, the, all the cuss sounds here. So um, uh, simply gospel family, being, being raised in a family that, that taught the gospel. So look at uh, verse 5. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Now what's interesting is we don't really know much about Timothy's family outside of this verse and one verse in Acts 16. That simply tells us um, that, that his mother was a, was a believing Jew, but his father was a Greek. That, that's all we know about, about Timothy's life, about, about his, his family. And, and yet, apparently, Paul knows both his, Paul knew his mother and, and his grandmother, and knows that they both have become followers of Christ. Maybe even because of Paul's witness as, as he went and, and planted this church in Ephesus. That's conjecture don't know that for sure, just, just kind of making a, it's, it's possible, all right? So it's likely they were both uh, devout Jews before they became t- to follow Christ. Timothy's mother became a, a follower of Christ. As, as far as we know, his father did not. Now, now listen, we, we talked earlier about we desperately need godly men, and that's true. We, we do. We, we desperately need godly men. I had the opportunity to share during the Men of Honor Conference back in October. One of the things I, I pleaded with the, with the men there is, uh, men, don't make your family go to church without you. Don't, don't make your, your wives and, and your kids go to church while you stay home. Now, I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir, right? Because everybody that's here, well, you're here this morning. But, but men, hear me. Don't Make your wives and your kids go to church without you. Make, make that a, a priority. Now, wives and moms, hear me. If your husband won't, you go ahead and bring those kids to church. Because as important as the influence of a father is, and I think that's something that we've vastly um, uh, misunderstood in our culture at large, is the influence of, of the father in the home. But let us not discount the, the effect that a mom can have on her kids either. We see it right here in Timothy, whose father was not a believer, and yet whose grandmother and mother were followers of Christ, and we see what Timothy became. Because of God's grace, because of, uh, of Christ's opening his eyes through the, through the gospel, but using the influence of his mother and his grandmother to do it. And the legacy of, the, of this faith in their family that we see shows this ongoing reality here. You have three generations of, of Christ followers. And, and, and this goes back to what we looked at a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This, this Shema, this passage that, that Jews would have re, had memorized and would have recited every day. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Now what we see here is God called the the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, to surround themselves with the goodness of God. 
to talk about it when they lie down and when they get up, when they walk along the road, to bind them as, as signs on their hands and, and, and on their foreheads, to, to put it on their doorposts. In other words, they wanted to encounter the commands of Christ everywhere. They wanted to be reminded of what God had done for them moment by moment throughout their day. And what I love about this is, like, like if you look at that passage, there's not a command, um, all right, you got to sit down and you got to have like a 45-minute devotional with your family before you put your kids to bed. Thus saith the Lord, right? That's not, that's not the way it works. It, rather, if you notice, it's, it's as you're going, right? As you're already going about your day, talk about the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. What a, what a concept, right? That we would be so immersed in, in the gospel, we'd be immersed in, in who God is that, that we can talk about it even like while we're driving to Walmart to go get groceries or on our way to and on our way from church. What, a, what an idea. Now, I talked about the blessing of, of gospel kin. So let me, let me say real quick, I understand that um, not everyone was raised in a Christian home. Now, I, I'm going to assume that we're here this morning because each of us has come to know something of the, the grace of God, whether you would already say you're a believer and a follower of Christ, or if you're just, um, you know, I'm just here kind of kicking the tires on, on this whole God and, and church thing. Um, let, let me just simply, simply say that um, it's true you can't change the, the way that you were raised, right? But what we have control over is the way we raise our own families. I mean, I was blessed with, a, with, with a, uh, being raised in a Christian home, um, I used to joke, you know, I was in church nine months before I was born. Um, I, was on, I was on the, uh, the cradle roll perhaps before I was born. Um, definitely was on a Sunday school roll before I became a believer. Um, that, that was just, that was my life. Um, you know, parents weren't in ministry. My, my dad was a cotton farmer. He served as, a, as our Sunday school superintendent for a little while. My mom worked in the nursery. Um, but, but we were, man. I mean, every time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I was, I was in the church. Um, now, you can't, can't change the way that you were raised if you weren't raised in a godly home, but what you can do is change the tra- trajectory of your family from here on. And never discount the blessings of raising children in a godly home. And I would say this, it's never too late. If, if, so, you know, even if your kids are grown and, and out of the house and you'd say, man, you know, I'm not sure I did such a good job in, in discipling my kids and all that, let me tell you, it's never too late one of the wonderful mercies of, uh, of God, right? He said his mercies are new every morning. It's, it's never too late for, for a fresh start. And, and especially in this world now where we've made not just fathers, but really parents um, optional. We've tried to downplay the, the influence that parents have on their kids. Um, you know, I've read a lot of surveys, not, not only for, for schooling, but just kind of in, in, in general, trying to figure out how spiritual formation works. And, and one of the most consistent things that we see is that children follow the example of their parents. As much as they try to rebel against it, they're going to end up following, more than likely, the example of their parents. So that becomes huge for us then in spiritual formation. So, so we have the, the blessing of gospel companions, the blessing of gospel kin. 
And now, now here's, what I, here's the last thing I want us to see. We need to experience, or we can experience, the blessing of gospel courage. Verses 6 and 7. Paul says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, just from, from some things that we've seen through 1 Timothy, some things we see here, we, we think that, that Timothy might have just been kind of a timid person. All of a sudden, he goes into this church as as Certainly an elder, maybe what we would, kind of the, the first century equivalent to what we call a lead pastor, and, and he's dealing with wolves in his church. He's dealing with false teachers that are leading people astray. And we kind of get this, this idea that Timothy's one of these guys who's like, man, I don't know that I can handle this. Like, I don't know they're going to listen to me. Um, you know, maybe even like a lot of pastors do sometimes, like what on earth did I get myself into? Um, you know, he gets into this church, starts ministering to him, and he says, wait, wait, like, these folks are messed up. Um, it's, I didn't realize quite what I was signing up for. I'm not sure if I'm ready for all this. So it was maybe a little timid. And Paul just reminds him, Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear. But he says, one of power, love, and sound judgment. Those should, those realities should cause us to respond with courage. Now, the call to rekindle his faith in, in verse 6, doesn't, I don't think it necessarily means that, that like Timothy's flames going out, right? That he's, he's losing that zeal for the Lord that he had. But it was just a reminder to keep feeding, uh, to keep, uh, keep feeding the fire. Not to let it go out. Not to let it diminish. And maybe he is getting weary. As we, as we talked about, he's dealt with some significant challenges in his church, and so maybe Paul uh, just simply feared that, that Timothy was getting kind of burnt out, that he was getting weary, and, and he wants to, to just encourage him to keep going strong. You know, serving Christ can be difficult. Being, being a follower of Christ is, is, a, is a hard thing. In a lot of ways, it goes against almost all of our natural inclinations. It certainly goes against what our culture would say is, is normal, which is kind of funny because normal keeps changing, right? It can, it can be difficult for pastors to remain faithful. As we said, Timothy's dealing with false teachers, and as we're going to see later in the letter, apparently they're still, uh, they're still active in some way uh, trying, to, trying to affect his ministry there. And so being a, being a Christian, in Timothy's case, being a pastor, requires courage. This has always been true, and it will continue to be true as our, as our culture moves farther and farther away from biblical values, as we, as I said, as we continue to redefine whatever normal is. As we continue in this culture of outrage that we've created, where somebody walks in in a red shirt, somehow I'm supposed to be offended at that for some reason. And, and as that continues, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require courage on the part of believers to stand firm against the madness that we're seeing in our culture. We need courage, and thankfully God has given us courage. He's, he's given us 
this command, don't be fearful. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, it's, it's been said, it's been rumored that, that the phrase fear not or do not be afraid or some, some form or some combination of those um, is listed in the Bible 365 times. I've read that. Now, I'll be honest, I have not gone through and personally counted them, okay? So, so I can neither confirm nor deny that, that that's accurate. But what I am confident in, in saying is that the command, do not be afraid, do not fear, is one of the most often repeated commands in the Bible. And, and as we've talked before, right, if you, if you see something that's repeated over and over again in Scripture, it's something God's trying to get through to us. And I think that's true because I think God understood that we as people would, would wrestle with fear. He wants to remind us over and over again, don't fear. Because if our identity's in Christ, if, if, if we're followers of Christ, if you've, if you've come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, then, then here's the thing that removes fear. It doesn't matter what happens to you here. I mean, we're all going to die eventually anyway, right? There's only one way this life ends. Nobody gets out of this world alive. The, the rate of death is remarkably high. So, so listen, like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me here is, is that I die, right? Remember what Paul said as he kind of neared the end of his life? To, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like I've got some work to do, but you know what? If, man, if they decide to kill me, praise the Lord. That's why Paul confounded his his captors, right? uh, Drove his guards crazy that he was was attached to. Hey, what are we doing today? Oh, we're going to torture you. Cool. Pray that I'll come to know the the sufferings of Christ to be able to to share in those with him and rejoice that I was counted worthy to suffer with Christ. Well, fine, then we're going to kill you. Cool. To die is gain. Let's get it over with. What if we release you? Then I'll go right on preaching the gospel. We'll bring you right back here. Okay. Like, what do you do with somebody? That's their mindset. You know, fear in the Bible is not, a, not an uncommon thing. Even if we go back to the Old Testament, um, in the book of Joshua, we're presented this story of Joshua, creatively named, right? Joshua is the man that God appointed to take over for Moses. Now, if you're looking at the entire Old Testament, there's, you'd be hard-pressed to find a character more central to what God did in the Old Testament than Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Led them through the desert for 40 years as they wandered. Because of his own disobedience, he was not able to enter into the promised land, but, but he dealt with um, the, the people's rebellion against God and against his leadership. For 40 years, Moses was their leader. And then, like we all do, Moses died. 
And God tasks Joshua, God appoints Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, as you can imagine, stepping into those shoes, right? I mean, after, after Moses you know, led them through the, the Red Sea while the waters parted, while Moses was the one who led them as they, as they got the manna in the wilderness for 40 years to, to feed them. Joshua's probably feeling a bit intimidated by taking on this role of leading these people. And, and this is what God tells Joshua when he appoints him after Moses passed away as, as Joshua takes over leading the children of Israel. He says this, Joshua 1.9, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Kind of sounds like something that Jesus said, doesn't it? Right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gives the, the, the disciples the great commission. Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know the thing that should give us courage? is not how awesome we are. It's not how much knowledge I have. It's not, not you know, the, the, the degrees that I've amassed or any position that I have in, in my job or anywhere else. That, that's not the thing that gives us courage. The thing that should give us courage as followers of Christ is that God is with us. That he promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. That should give us courage to be, to be vulnerable with one another, right? Which is what's required if we're actually going to have gospel kinship and gospel partnership with one another. It's what will allow us to, to dare to try to raise godly kids in the middle of this wide, wild culture that we're living in. It's also that thing that will give us courage to share the gospel when, you know, a lot of people like to complain about life, right? I mean, I don't know how your, how your job goes. I'm assuming that tomorrow morning somebody's going to show up and they're going to talk all about their weekend and it's just going to be like they're, like they're chasing their own tail trying to find happiness and wondering why they're not getting anywhere. You know, we have the answer for that. Sometimes it just requires courage and, and yeah, wisdom, depending on, how, on where you work and, and how to share some hope of the gospel with them. I'm just crazy enough to think that we have the courage in, in Christ's presence with us to do that. All right, so what do we do with all this? How do, how do we, how do we um, apply all of this? Well, first of all, we, we all need two things, two, two relationships. We need to be discipled by someone. And we need someone to disciple. That doesn't mean you have to sit down for an hour every week with somebody, but you, you, need, you need someone who's pouring into your life, whether that's a small group leader or, or, an, or an older believer, someone who's, who's walked with the Lord longer than you. you. You need someone who's pouring into your life, and you need to be pouring into someone else's life. That's how we do what 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about. Second, I wonder how we are proclaiming the gospel to our family. Look, if you have your own kids, right there. Like God, God has given you um, disciples, 
to, to, to reach the nations, right? Right there in, in our home. If you, if you don't have kids at home, um, you, still have, uh, you still have children who are alive who you can, um, you can pour into. And, and look, if you, don't, if you don't have your own children, God still placed people in your life whom you can share the gospel with, whom you can disciple. And then finally, I wonder if this morning we're in need of godly courage. Right? So maybe you're timid about sharing your faith and, and practice and training can help, but, but sometimes that just takes us like swallowing hard and, and opening our mouths, right? Praying, Lord, give me, give me courage, give me wisdom, to what I'm about to say, protect me from saying something stupid, and let's go. This is what I'm, what I'm convinced of, is that, that God will give us these things. If we're actively pursuing partners in the gospel, he's going to provide that. We, we see him do that all through scripture. He's going to, he's going to provide us opportunities to share with, with friends, kids, family members. And in those moments that we need courage, he's promised that he'll give that as well. So let's trust him. Let's take him at his word and trust him. And see what happens when he, when he does in our own lives and in the life of our church as a whole when we obey him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the opportunity to, to come and open up your word. I, I thank you for, um, for the example that we have in, in 2 Timothy, of, God, of, of Paul writing this letter to Timothy, trying to encourage him to, to remain faithful, reminding him of the gospel heritage that, that was there in his family. I thank you that you used a grandmother and a mother to reach young Timothy with the gospel and the impact that that made, not, not just for a church in, in Ephesus, but the, the eternal impact it's made for the kingdom of God. Thank you for changed lives like those of Saul, whom you, whose heart you arrested when he was fighting against you and used him to encourage Timothy and to still encourage us 2,000 years later. And I pray in those moments where, where, we're, where we know we have an opportunity to share the gospel and, and we know that we have the answer to the questions and to the problems that, that friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members are telling us about. And I, I just pray we'd have the courage to, to speak up and to point them to Christ Jesus. We know we're not very good at that often. We, we know we, we wrestle with timidity. We wrestle with thinking we don't know enough. We, we, we come up with all kinds of excuses. So I pray when those moments come, you, you just cut through all that. And that we would trust you to do what your word has said that you will do. Will you give us the courage and the boldness through your grace and mercy to do that. Walk with us every step of the way. We ask all these things. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com 
or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.